1: At Trex, we know there's a place for wood in your backyard. We recommend the fire pit. But when it comes down to choosing the right material for your next deck, look no further than the superior beauty and durability of the number one name in outdoor living. Trex delivers the look of wood without all of the work and the worry. And it's made from 95% recycled materials, which makes it the right choice for your backyard 100% of the time. Make sure your next deck is built with Trex. Visit trex.com to order samples.
5: Good morning, Jane Pauley is off today. I'm Mo and this is Sunday Morning. History was made overnight when President Trump crossed into North Korea and met with President Kim Jong-un. We'll have the latest just ahead. Then looking forward to the 4th of July on Thursday, we'll turn to our cover story, an international drama playing out in the American heartland. Ted Koppel will introduce us to Ainsley's army.
6: Gary and Melody from Cleveland Heights, Ohio, have a non-paying guest from Haiti. It could be two years before his application for asylum is finally resolved.
7: You guys are up for that? Well, two years from the start, so what are we, five months in? (laughs) Yes,
2: it's not two years anymore.
6: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Want to know what's making America great again? Thank you. Ahead on Sunday morning.
5: She's a living legend in the world of music. Her name is Tina Turner, and she's talking this morning to Gail King. To do, to Her
3: voice has won awards and filled arenas.
8: But starting out, Tina Turner didn't much like it. In the beginning, I didn't. I thought it was kind of ugly because it was, didn't sound like Dinah Ross. But then afterwards, I thought, yeah. It sounds like the guys. Later, a lesson in dance
5: and life with Tina Turner. The words George Washington slept here are an irresistible draw for Americans visiting key sites of the Revolutionary War. Martha Teichner will be taking us to a museum where Washington's sleeping quarters are just the opening to a new look at our founding conflict. People know this version
4: of the American Revolution. But how about this one? We will
9: share with them in the fruits of victory or be buried in the same grave.
4: At the Museum of the American Revolution in Philadelphia, there are more people in the
10: picture. We like to say, you don't know the half of it is kind of our tagline here.
4: Coming up this Sunday morning, the American Revolution minus
5: the myth. A refreshing taste of summer is next on the menu. And when it comes to beating the heat, one American city has got the secret down cold. Hot Hot town, summer in the city. Hot town, summer in Milwaukee, which is why it seems everyone here is eating this frozen treat. Just get the name right what is the worst thing i could call this well you know if you call it ice cream you're not going to do real well (laughs) ahead on sunday morning frozen custard milwaukee's summer treat pretty good huh apple ceo tim cook shares his thoughts about stonewall 50 years on david martin takes in a one-man show about medal of honor recipients Steve Hartman has the heartwarming tale of a real class act. And more all coming up when our Sunday Morning Podcast continues. It's a proud Independence Day tradition. Naturalization ceremonies for new U.S. citizens across the land, including one at Monticello, the home of Thomas Jefferson. Yet, even as others take the oath of citizenship this Thursday, a refugee from the Caribbean is continuing his fight for the right to stay, which is where, as senior contributor Ted Koppel tells us, the members of Ainsley's army come in. This is the
6: story of how Ainsley Damus, a 42-year-old asylum seeker from Haiti, came to be living in Melody Hart and Gary Benjamin's upstairs bedroom in cleveland heights ohio so here in english it says front of
11: house exactly your
6: room yeah bringing someone who is after all still a stranger into your home though and saying okay there's your room (laughs) did that require a lengthy conversation between the two of you You
7: not really we knew that'd be his room without talking to each other
2: Hey, thanks everyone for coming.
6: Gary, Melody, and a bunch of neighbors who began calling themselves Ainsley's Army were outraged that an asylum seeker who had committed no crime was spending endless months in jail. He clearly needed help, and they were ready to provide it.
2: Uh, I wanted to make sure we got an update on everything to help Ainsley.
6: But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Back in Haiti, where he was a teacher, Ainsley spoke
11: Creole and French. What did you teach?
12: Mathematics and
11: physics, ethics and pedagogy. You know, pedagogy, the theory
6: and practice of education. Ainsley Damus is an educated man. His troubles began back in Haiti in 2014, when one of his former teachers went into politics. Ainsley began peppering his own lectures with references to that teacher's corruption. Bad. Yes, very bad. In retaliation, he says in a court statement, the politicians sent thugs to beat him and threaten his life.
11: My father called me, leave your house. Leave your house.
6: Ainsley was afraid, he says, that if he stayed, his wife and two children would be in danger. So he left Haiti, ending up in Brazil. After 18 months, he says he found Brazil too violent, claims he encountered too much discrimination. So you decide you're going to come to the United States? Baja, California is where Ainsley sought asylum, where he was processed by the Border Patrol and ultimately shipped to a jail outside Cleveland to await his day in court. That turned into a very long stay.
11: Two years, 27 days.
12: This is my story.
6: Understand, a jail is not the same as a prison. Jails are meant for short stays. This jail doesn't have any exercise facilities, inside or outside. And those windows, you can't see through them. So you never saw daylight? You never saw the sun, the stars, the moon? no,
11: no, no. No, 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 no.
6: Never? No,
13: no, no, no.
6: After his first six months in jail, Ainsley got word that an immigration judge had ruled in his favor. He granted asylum. Good news. Oh, yes. Well, not so good. Twice, Ainsley was granted asylum by immigration courts, and twice the government successfully appealed. All the while, Ainsley stayed in jail. According to Cecilia Wang, she's the deputy legal director of the American Civil Liberties Union, the long-term detention of asylum seekers is pretty commonplace these days.
3: The vast majority of people who are now in immigration custody, 50,000 human beings on any given day, have no criminal record. They are fighting their deportation cases. And the majority of them don't pose a flight risk or a danger. And we're spending our taxpayer money to lock people up in these abominable conditions.
6: The Trump administration makes no bones about trying to discourage asylum seekers. And Ainsley Demus was certainly getting discouraged.
2: He'd been in jail about 14 months when we uh, decided we would apply to be sponsors.
6: For more than a year, Ainsley's only visitor had been his pro bono lawyer. Until one day, out of the blue, Melody Hart and Gary Benjamin showed up.
11: Demus, you have visit. I don't no, not me. <laughs> I don't have nobody in Cleveland. Melody,
6: a financial consultant, and her husband Gary, an attorney, learned about Ainsley through a friend. They went to visit him, but even that was an arm's length proposition.
2: You sit there, and you pick up the phone, and you look at him in a monitor. He sees you in a monitor.
6: Now, here's the problem. Noise level, hard to hear. Right. You don't speak French. He doesn't speak English. At that point.
2: It's tough. I don't
11: understand melody.
2: She's <laughs> <laughs> <This> talk. <laughs>
6: <laughs> but you understand that you have a sponsor.
11: Yes, I understand this. That you understand. Sponsor the same... After Melody and Gary come,
12: (laughs) my life changed.
6: It was the difference between a life of isolation and having a support network.
2: What we could do is we put money in his commissary account.
7: He wanted to be able to go to the commissary because he couldn't get soap or toothpaste or a toothbrush. They didn't hand those out. You had to buy them.
6: To give him a connection to the outside world, Melody and Gary started sending Ainsley those photographs of their house to show him where he'd be living when he came out.
2: Here's your room and here's the yard and here's the dog. But then after that we would take pictures of the seasons because he hadn't seen it. So we took pictures of the leaves turning, at some point we sent him snow pictures.
6: Loneliness, though, remained a constant problem.
7: He wanted more companionship, so he started talking to people about sending him letters and sending him cards. And when we couldn't go on some Sundays, other people would fill in.
6: Which is how Ainsley's army got its start. Its forces rallied outside the ICE office in Cleveland, urging his release from jail. They began holding regular meetings. At this point, Gary and Melody still hadn't been officially approved as sponsors. Ainsley's release from jail was rejected on the grounds that he was a flight risk and lacked community support.
7: So we did our second application. Um, We tried to make it bulletproof. We had our bishop endorsing us, three doctors, a local judge, a priest, a rabbi. It was a pretty good showing, of support in the community.
6: And it was rejected again.
7: Flight risk and not enough contacts in the community.
6: That's when the ACLU filed the petition stating that Ainsley's detention was unlawful. The government was keeping him locked up indefinitely and denying his release without providing any evidence.
2: We went to court and uh, we chartered a bus. I'm Melody Hart, I'm one of the sponsors got Ainsley's Army on the bus. How big a group? It was about 35. Yep. About 35. We filled the courtroom. They had to pull in more chairs.
6: Which clearly had the intended impact on the judge.
2: She said, well, you know, it says here that he has no community ties. <laughs> Who are all these people? <laughs>
6: <Right>. <laughs> and?
2: And she says, so I'm just going to cross that off that that's not a valid reason.
6: And last November, before the judge had a chance to rule, the government finally agreed to release Ainsley from jail.
2: Really,
11: really, really happy.
6: On the condition that he wear an ankle bracelet and live with his sponsors, Melody and Gary, while his asylum case is being appealed.
2: Hi, I'm I'm Brenda. Hi, Brenda. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you.
6: Ainsley's army is still active. So we're working on his
7: resume.
5: And there are raffle tickets right here.
6: Last winter, they held a fundraiser raising $10,000.
9: We want to make some money for you, Ansley, for your legal fees and for your family.
11: Aye, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
6: He is studying English diligently, in class...
11: Go to
0: the other group and say,
6: they. Yeah, they. ...and also with volunteer tutors from his army. Good. He now gets himself to one part-time job doing maintenance at a church. He also works part-time as an electrician restoring houses. As for the troops in Ainsley's army, they're involved in more of a crusade than a military operation.
11: A reason why I got
6: involved is because
11: I felt that the way that Ainsley was treated was so un-American. I wanted to stand up for principles that I think are important for this country.
8: You know, why am I
4: living at this age if I don't try to make things better? I don't see any purpose in my life if if I don't speak out.
8: I think we're all people of faith, deep faith, in our values and how we treat other human beings.
6: Which brings us back to Gary and Melody and that upstairs bedroom now occupied by Ainsley Damus. All in all, it could be two years before his asylum case
7: is finally resolved. You guys are up for that? Well, two years from the start, so... What are we, five months in?
6: (laughs) Yes, it's
2: not two years anymore.
6: (laughs) Yeah. Ainsley video chats with his wife and kids every day. And yes, he is thinking about how and when he can bring them to where else? Cleveland.
11: I told my wife all the time Cleveland is very cool.
14: <laughs> I
11: don't take I don't have a life
12: before people to Cleveland give me my life.
5: And now a page from our Sunday Morning Almanac, June 30, 1864, 155 years ago today, the day President Abraham Lincoln signed the Yosemite Valley Grant Act. The act gave the state of California ownership of the valley, quote, upon the express conditions that the premises shall be held for public use, resort, and recreation but Yosemite's protected status failed to fully protect its wonders in the view of conservationist John Muir. He complained of intrusive tourists and fumed over commercial sheep grazing on Yosemite's meadows. Hoofed locusts, he called them. Thanks in large part to his lobbying, Yosemite became a national park in 1890, and in 1903, Muir famously led President Theodore Roosevelt on a tour.
1: Yosemite National Park is 1,200 square miles.
5: Many millions of other visitors have followed in their footsteps. Yosemite's natural wonders include Towering El Capitan, rising nearly 3,600 feet over the valley floor, roughly the height of two-and-a-half Empire State Buildings. Even taller, Half Dome. At just over 4,700 feet, it's almost a full mile tall. And don't forget Yosemite Falls, a series of three cascades, totaling just over 2,400 feet in all. Not that Yosemite's must-see attractions can always be seen. Last summer's Ferguson Fire filled Yosemite Valley with smoke, forcing the park to close for almost two weeks. No similar fire this year so far, but the park did make a fire season declaration earlier this month due to hotter and drier weather conditions. George Washington slept here, there, and seemingly everywhere, as he led the Continental Army to victory in the Revolutionary War. But to get the full flavor of the Revolution, it's best to check out the museum Martha Teichner will be leading us through. Philadelphia.
4: The Liberty Bell is here. The Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution were drafted and signed here. It was home to Philly's favorite founding father, Benjamin Franklin, and America's most famous flag maker, Betsy Ross. So what better place for the Museum of the American Revolution, which opened in 2017? Its centerpiece, this. Today, Washington's tent is here. George Washington's tent, enshrined now in its own theater. Reminding us of times when the nation's future hung in the balance. As his soldiers did, you see it as a stand-in for Washington himself. The tent
10: was the symbol that he, you know, he said, I've never left your side. I've been with you through the entire war. And. Every one of those men knew that they had seen those candles burning late into the night. And these are all objects in this gallery that were present during that fighting.
4: Scott Stevenson is president and CEO of the museum. Imagine
10: it's the morning of April 19, 1775, and on that hilltop are those companies of Minutemen and the British march in.
4: Concord, Massachusetts, where it all began. <laughs> The two sides fought it out that first day of the war at the
10: North Bridge. There had been firing early in the day at Lexington Green, but for the reason that two British soldiers fell there at the bridge, this was considered the shot heard around the world.
4: On display like a holy relic,
10: a piece of that original bridge. This beam literally heard that shot fired on the morning of April 19th.
4: But the museum sees its mission as doing more than reinforcing for visitors, 725,000 so far, a mythologized version of the American creation story.
10: What I want them to come away with is realizing that this is not just a quaint story that's set a long time ago, that only involves people that look like me, standing with wigs on, looking at a piece of paper on the table. There was violence that was involved. There was uncertainty. There were people of all backgrounds who were involved in creating this nation.
4: Who didn't always get along. During the winter of 1775, George Washington really did break up a snowball fight between militiamen he was trying to unite into an army. And the
12: snowball fight essentially turned into a riot where about a 1,000 people were engaged
4: in fighting each other right out here in Harvard Yard. Yes, of all places, Harvard Yard. They were here. Vincent Brown is a professor of African-American history at Harvard. He advised the museum. And there were African-Americans involved. There were
12: African-Americans involved. There were Native Americans involved and lots of local people.
4: African-Americans have largely been left out of the revolution narrative, but not here.
12: They've got that great moment in the museum where they're asking you to imagine a conversation between two black people. One, a British soldier, and one, an enslaved person who is trying to figure out what they want to do in that environment.
4: The proposition? Freedom, in exchange for running away and joining the British army. There are about 15,000
12: black people who fought for the British during the American Revolution, and about 5,000 black people who fought for the patriots.
4: Slavery expanded exponentially after the war. On full display, an uncomfortable contradiction.
12: Well, one of the most powerful things, I think, in the museum is, is that set of manacles for a child that must have been used on an enslaved child. How could we have manacles for a child in a museum about the American Revolution, which is supposed to be about freedom? It gets us thinking.
4: About difficult decisions, about winners and losers.
12: African-Americans and Native Americans were losers of the American Revolution.
4: The Oneida people lost big time. Part of a union of six Iroquois nations, they had no choice but to take sides.
14: That conflict came on Iroquois lands, our lands.
4: Ray Halbritter heads the Oneida Nation in New York.
14: Well, our Oneida people decided to ally with the colonists.
4: Other tribes chose to go with the British. Yes. The Oneida were the unsung heroes of Valley Forge.
14: Our people knew and heard about how George Washington's army was starving, so we brought hundreds of bushels of corn in midwinter. They were
4: promised their allegiance would preserve their lands and way of life. It didn't.
14: Well, through the years, a number of fraudulent treaties took place, and we lost our land.
4: So the the nation started out six million acres. Yeah. What did it end up? So
14: 32 acres. In That's it, 32
4: acres. 32 acres. When you started out with six
14: million. Yeah.
4: That's shocking. Yeah, it's, it is. The Oneida, now supported by casino revenue, donated $10 million of the museum's $150 million cost, so their story would be told. So that alongside the muskets and child-friendly entertainments, a nuanced, warts-and-all version of the American Revolution shines through.
10: Are we mature enough as a nation, as a culture, to not sweep under the carpet all of the terrible injustices that were done and it's not an unpatriotic act to shine light on those and
4: acknowledge them and to connect the dots between long ago battles and ourselves i see meet the future of the american revolution in mirrors why
10: (laughs) so this is a moment when we want you know everyone to see themselves reflected in the story that they've just been through And it's a reminder that we are swimming in the stream of history.
5: Ultimately, our future is together. From time to time in the weeks to come, we'll be treating you to a taste of summer, starting right now, with a treat I very much enjoyed digging into.
9: How's the world treating everyone today? Good.
5: Tom Linscott, the owner of Gillis's Frozen Custard, welcomes everyone to his establishment. Summer day (laughs) in Milwaukee, where else would we be? Just don't confuse his product with that other frozen dessert. What is the worst thing I could call this? Well, you know, if you call it ice cream, you're not gonna do real well. (laughs) Tom's not being a stickler. Frozen custard is not ice cream. The biggest difference? Custard uses more eggs, yolks included, making for a sinfully creamy experience. It's especially popular in Milwaukee. No one is quite sure why, but the city boasts the highest concentration of frozen custard chops in the world. Gillis's is the oldest, serving since 1938. Custard's first stand, if you will. Are you raising her on custard?
14: We sure are. Several pints of Gillies in our freezer right now.
5: (laughs) Former commissioner of baseball Bud Selig is a regular here. The favorite son is careful not to play favorites. I love frozen custard and I love ice cream, so I I, I love them both. Wow, that's like loving the Red Sox and the Yankees.
14: Well, I know.
5: And how's this for a double play? Two chocolate shakes. Legendary baseball announcer, funny man, and former player Bob Euchre just a bit outside, is also a fan. I mean, I got custard, free custard every time I got a hit, so that was about once a month, so. Euchre has a theory on how his hometown became custard central. You don't get custard on the coast like you get in the Midwest. You can't, because the cows
9: in California are too hot. Cows in the Midwest, in the winter, shake and shiver. That's what gives
5: the custard the air. Your first scoop, you like it. And about 30 seconds in, I was still believing you. Yeah, well... Actually, frozen custard as we know it was invented in Coney Island, New York in 1919. It migrated west with the Chicago World's Fair in 1933 and put down roots. How long have you been eating frozen custard? Well, I'll I'll be 68 in September, and I'm pretty sure I had my first frozen custard at about two years old. Across town, Leon's frozen custard is another favorite. So what's the deal with Milwaukee and frozen custard? Well, there's more of it here. Second-generation owner Ron Schneider really likes talking about custard.
7: Milwaukee and Wisconsin in the early to mid-1930s.
5: I was very interested in what Ron had to say but i was even more interested in my butter pecan cone
7: appeals to everyone so uh, i feel good about serving this good a product
5: excuse me i've just eaten so much custard today you should have come here first no i'm fine i'll be fine i'll be okay we can get you more we can get you suitably overdosed (laughs) we may never be able to explain why milwaukee makes such great custard but to taste is to believe when god wants the good stuff he asks for custard goddess in milwaukee (laughs) plenty of words are spoken on independence day about the men and women in uniform who have fought for our country david martin has been to see a one-man play called beyond glory which tells several combat heroes stories in their own words bastards it begins at Pearl Harbor
9: with Chief Betty Officer John Finn scrambling to fight off Japanese dive-bombers on the day of infamy. A desperate deed for which he would receive the Medal of Honor.
11: I'm madder than hell! I wasn't being courageous, all I was doing was, I was, well, I'm... I pissed off.
9: The actor Stephen Lang, best known for his role in the Hollywood blockbuster Avatar, Portrays eight Medal of Honor recipients in the one man play Beyond Glory, using their own words as recorded in this oral history.
11: These are stories that people might not otherwise know unless I, unless I tell them. Like that of James Stockdale, who was unknown to many
9: Americans until he made this awkward attempt to introduce himself in a nationally televised debate. I, uh, who am I? Why am I here? <laughs>
11: When you say Jim Stockdale to people of our generation, they think of a man who ran for vice president on the ticket with Ross Perot in 1992. And what they think of is a debate in which Admiral Stockdale looked like a deer lost in the headlights. No!
9: The Stockdale Lang brings to the stage was a Navy pilot shot down over North Vietnam.
11: I spent the next seven and a half years as a prisoner of war.
9: Fifteen times, undergoing torture in which his body was wrenched into excruciating positions.
11: And then they begin to pull on those ropes from several directions. They're pulling you over at the same time. Your arms getting splayed back till your breastbones on the verge of cracking. You're actually
9: for Stockdale. There was no battlefield adrenaline to see him through. Only a stoic determination to never give
11: in. It's just a question of Reagan sucking it up and holding on and saying this is going to hurt. All right, let it hurt. Day after day. Day after day, no end in
1: sight. The
9: stories of uncommon valor change with each man, but in one way, they're all the same.
11: You're being asked, not ordered, but just asked by the fact that you're there to do stuff that no soldier really should have to do. That's why it's the Medal of Honor, because if you didn't do it, nobody would hold it against you. Infantry, ha! Lange has performed Beyond Glory hundreds of times to troops around the world and in community theaters across the country. I never could have anticipated that this play would give me what it's given me. Thank you. Good night especially with Stockdale. As a Navy flyer, I know
9: For him, the best part of the show is what happens afterwards in the lobby.
11: Thanks for coming, gentlemen. We're gonna have a picture of
14: Thank you, thank you. I think you're great for your country. This is in Okinawa the infantry. The
11: appreciation that I get back from veterans, from theater-goers, civilians, and from families of service men and women. They're the most energizing things in the world. Until they saw
9: the play, most audiences had no idea how long it has taken for this country to recognize the courage of some of its citizens.
6: One of our most precious rights,
9: the right to vote will be without meaning. Long before he was a member of the Senate Watergate Committee, Daniel Inouye fought in World War II as part of the 442nd Regiment, made up entirely of Japanese Americans,
11: a unit that became known as the Expendables. The casualty rate of the 442nd was the highest casualty rate of any unit in the entire United States Armed Forces. way, lost his right arm to a grenade,
9: yet fought on against the Germans.
11: I picked up my tommy gun with my left hand, mind you, my right is gone, and I charged, and I guess I took out several emplacements and I was wounded again in the legs this time and they wanted to evacuate me and and I said no no no
9: because of his Japanese heritage and the racism that was such a part of World War II, in a way and 21 other Asian Americans did not receive the Medal of Honor (laughs) until the year 2000 rarely has a nation been so well served by a people It had so ill-treated. The same could be said for African-American soldiers who fought in World War II. It would be half a century before seven men from the all-black Buffalo division were finally honored. By then, only one, Vernon Baker, was still alive and amazingly not bitter.
11: I have no complaints, look, This was the only country I had. And I felt in my heart that things would get better, that America, the United States, was growing up.
9: Take a look at Vernon Baker's face,
11: and you can see it's not about glory. Vernon Baker is receiving that medal himself, those men, and the Buffalo Division and for every African-American who fought on behalf of this country.
5: Talk about a class act. Steve Hartman has been to a school where the kids have gone all out to make one special classmate feel right at home.
14: Ready for cookies? Six-year-old Maury Belanger has a severe hearing impairment, but she's also very much a typical kid, <laughs> which is
5: why.
14: When it came time for kindergarten, her parents, Shannon and Matt, were torn. Send her to a school for the deaf. Yeah, eggs. Or to the public school here in Dayton, Maine, way? which was close and convenient. OK. Unfortunately, at the public school, there weren't any other kids like Maury, and support was minimal. You always think of the bad things, like, you know, are they going to make fun of her or... Her fitting in. Um, thankfully, we made the right choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can guess what they decided. Or can you? Believe it or not, this is Dayton Consolidated Elementary, the public school, where talking like Maury has become all the rage.
1: You
2: guys this language? Yay, yeah, exactly.
14: Kids here at Dayton have learned multiple things of sign language, so like door, window,
8: carrot, quiet, funny, sad.
14: What's that? That's not a sign.
8: But I like to do it.
14: <laughs> <laughs> I like to do it too, but it's not a sign. <laughs> Obviously, they're not fluent yet. But about a third of the kids here know enough to navigate a kindergarten conversation. Like when Maury didn't notice the line was moving, the girl in the pink told her to walk followed by the universal sign for, way to go, Maury. And it's not like the administration is mandating this. There is no sign language curriculum. This is bottom-up kindness. Students motivated by nothing more than their own deep desire to connect with this one little girl. What they know, they learn mostly from posters, books, watching Maury's aid, and teaching each other.
5: They want to do as
0: much as they can for her. We want her to feel comfortable and safe and be able to kind of
6: make friends with her. It's like if you got a gift basket, that's what she is, a little gift basket, flowers and
2: chocolate, just a little (laughs) bundle of joy.
14: Eventually, Maury's parents say their daughter may need more support services, but they believe all she needs now is what she has here, a loving community. To know that people just accept her for how she is, she's just gonna succeed because of being at that school. There are signs of that already.
8: It's Sunday morning on CBS. Here again is Mo Rocca.
5: The song Private Dancer from 1984 helped to make a legend of Tina Turner, whose life story is told in the London musical Tina, which is coming to Broadway this October. Turns out singing is just one of her talents as Gail King of CBS this morning learned firsthand or should I say foot
8: To do do
3: do do' the phony When 79 yeah. year old uh, Tina Turner offers a dance lesson three one, two, you join the class two, three, one, two, What's love got to do got to do with it What's love but a, but a second-hand, second-hand emotion. <laughs> That voice and those moves gave Tina Turner a five decade career as one of the biggest stars in rock music. She sold more than 200 million records and the tale of the suffering and triumph of her life offstage. <laughs> Famously chronicled in the Oscar nominated film What's Love Got to Do with It,
0: I hereby grant her a divorce on the has
3: endeared her to millions. Him, Mama, this is Zurich. Wow. Turner's a citizen of Switzerland now, so we met her there to talk about her latest memoir,
8: a book she admits she had to be convinced to write. So I said, okay, I'll do the book because there's still a lot to be said. Yeah. So then we started working on it. And uh, it was a little boring because you're always talking about yourself
3: and what you did. Tina, stop it. There's nothing boring about you. Nothing. Well, to me. There's nothing boring about Tina Turner. And, and, And I love the title of the book, My Love Story, because it really is a love story. In the book, the plot thickens when in 1986, Turner meets a young German record executive, Erwin Bach. She was 46, he was 30. There's a great story in the book, you all are at a dinner, and uh, it's a very cheeky move on your part. (laughs) Go ahead, share it, Tina. What did you say?
8: So I said to Erwin, when you get to California, I want you to make love to me, because I did. But Tina, who says that to somebody? Uh, you say it if you feel it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it, it no, you're not going to get it otherwise. Yes. <laughs> but that's what I wanted.
3: <laughs> they fell in love and finally tied the knot six years ago. It was the first time that I got married, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. When you say that's the first time you felt you had been married,
8: why? When Ike asked me to marry him, I knew it was for a reason. But I had to say yes, I knew, or it was going to be a fight. And so then when we drove to marry that wasn't my idea of my wedding. That
3: first wedding and that first husband, Ike Turner, are still things that Tina Turner is trying to reconcile. And you spend time in the book actually thinking about Ike. Why do you think you found yourself thinking about him, someone who caused you so much pain?
8: I get emotional with certain, certain conversations. Mm. I get emotional because in the beginning, Ike was very good to me.
3: Tina was born Anna Mae Bullock in Nutbush, Tennessee, a tomboy, she says, from a broken home. When she first laid eyes on Ike Turner, a popular singer in a St. Louis nightclub,
8: her reaction, well, was mixed. I thought he was the ugliest person I'd ever seen. i never seen anybody that skinny. But he had a presence. Mm-hmm. And then I watched him and he got on stage and he started, I thought, oh, wow, I want to sing with that band. Soon she had
3: her chance. But when a song she recorded with Ike caught the eye of
8: a label executive, that was the end of Anna May. It just came home from the record company, he said, here's the record. And I said, who's Tina? He said, you're Tina. And you said, your name is Tina Turner? Yeah, he says, you're, you're Tina. And I said, Tina, Tina Turner? It was really hard to say in the beginning. I said, we're rolling. 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 Yeah. That is when he took over the money, the name, the, the whole control. I
4: left a good job in the city. Working for man every night and day. The
8: Ike and Tina Turner
3: Review became one of the most successful acts of the late 60s. Tina says she faced competition from other big female singers.
8: But I was the only one that danced. And I remember Lily Richards said, Tina dances. You know, it's hard for us to compete with her because I always did the twist, I always danced on stage.
6: When I was a little girl, I had a great
8: But you had that voice too. And I had the, the strange voice that most girl singers didn't have.
3: How does your voice sound to you? Deep, and even it goes deeper. So. Do you like your voice, Tina? Do you think you have a good voice? You know,
8: in the beginning I didn't. I thought it was kind of ugly because it was it didn't sound like Dinah Ross. But then afterwards I thought, yeah, it sounds like the guys. Baby. Oh,
3: baby. But the success of this duo came at a very steep price. She says Ike Turner consistently abused her. The thing that struck me is that he was so
8: cruel. He was cruel because he depended on me. He didn't like that he had to, had to depend on me. And I didn't want to start a fight because it was always a black eye, a broken nose, a busted lip, a
3: rib. It was... But Tina, it got to the point where you finally left, you decided to fight back, something you had never done before. And when I say fight back, I mean physically you fought back.
8: I felt that I've had enough. Just enough, enough. Now it's time to go out the door. Mm -hmm. I had nothing. I had absolutely nothing. 36 cents. That was all.
3: So here you are. You have to start over. You've had this career of Ike and Tina. and Now you are Tina Turner. Are you thinking that you're going to be a success Mm -hmm. as Tina Turner at the
8: age of close to 40? I didn't think about the singing at all. First of all, I was thinking about where I was gonna lay my head, so to speak. Then I was just enjoying the freedom of not being in that environment. Tina played
3: hotels and casinos and caught the attention of a young Australian producer, Roger Davies. When she heard a demo of a song he
8: proposed, she turned up her nose. The day of recording from what Roger said, Tina, I think the song is gonna hit. So I said, Okay, I can sing it. I said, but I don't like it, Roger. You must understand. So I went in the studio and and I applied my voice compared to the girls. You teened it up. I teened it up, yes.
3: At age forty-four, Tina Turner had her first number one one single. She would go on to fill albums with hit music. and arenas with fans worldwide. In 2007, she performed her last tour.
8: I got on that plane, Gail, I took a deep breath and I said, it's over. I really felt like it's over and I'm glad it's over. And I went home. People miss you though, Tina. That's okay. (laughs) They can go go and see, they can watch the videos. (laughs) I tell you, when I watch the videos, I'm jumping and moving. (laughs) Enjoy those, but I'm finished with it.
3: The years since her retirement have tested Tina Turner in new ways. Her son, Craig, took his life last July.
8: I think Craig was lonely. That's what I think really got him more than anything else. I have pictures all around of him smiling, and I I think I'm sensing that he's in a good place. Yeah. I really do. She has endured a stroke,
3: intestinal cancer, and kidney failure. When she needed a new kidney, her
8: husband Erwin offered one of his. And I said, yes, my darling, you're young, and I'm already old, and I don't mind. In Buddhism, you're taught that you, you know you live and you die, and it's something that's accepted. Yeah. And... So then after Irvin said that, I said, okay, darling, if that's, you're willing to give up a kidney, and then I'm fine. Mm-hmm.
3: Is there anything you want now in life as you sit here, Tina Turner, that you don't
8: have? No. I have everything. When I sit at the Lake Zurich in the house that I have, I am so serene. Wow. No problems. I had a very hard life that I didn't put blame on anything or anyone. I got through it, I lived through it with no blame. Here's to you.
5: And I'm a happy person. Here's to you. You earned it. Cheers. Pride parades across the country today will celebrate the advances made in LGBTQ rights in the half century since gay patrons of the Stonewall Inn in New York's Greenwich Village resisted a raid by police. Still, there's work to be done, according to our Sunday morning guest commentator, Tim Cook, the chief executive
13: officer of Apple. This weekend, we mark the 50th anniversary of the riots at Stonewall. It's an important reminder that only dedicated people, standing up when it is difficult, can carry us forward. And that without courage, it is chillingly easy to fall back into the shadows. When the patrons of the Stonewall Inn showed up that June night, people of all races, gay and transgender, young and old, they had no idea what history had in store for them. It would have seemed foolish to dream it. When the police raid began, it was not the knock of opportunity or the call of destiny. It was just another instance of the world telling them that they ought to feel worthless for being different. But the group gathered there felt something strengthen in them a conviction that they deserved something better than oblivion. And if it wasn't going to be given, then they were going to have to build it themselves. I was eight years old and a thousand miles away when Stonewall happened. There were no news alerts, no way for photos to go viral, no mechanism for a kid on the Gulf Coast to hear these unlikely heroes tell their stories. What I would not know for a long time was what I owed to a group of people I never knew in a place I'd never been. Yet I will never stop being grateful for what they had the courage to build. Today it's on all of us to carry their work forward. In 2019, discrimination still looms in employment, in housing and in public places like restaurants and stores. The transgender community in particular is singled out for persecution and acts of violence and LGBTQ young people still face an epidemic of harassment and bullying that isn't merely cruel, it robs them of life's opportunities. Often this comes at the hands of the people they should be able to trust, their teachers, their faith leaders, even their parents. Seeking only love and acceptance, these young people are kicked out of their homes and houses of worship. That's no small reason why roughly 40% of homeless youth are LGBTQ. We all have a responsibility to set a positive example, and that includes companies like ours. We make sure our employees enjoy equal benefits and health care protections, and that we create an inclusive environment where everyone can bring their unique experiences to work. With the spread of marriage equality to all 50 states, and a seismic shift in public opinion in favor of equality for all, the march that began at Stonewall continues with the wind at our back. This anniversary and Pride Month in general are time for celebration and community, but we miss an important opportunity if we don't dedicate this moment to the progress yet to be made. I am so proud to be a part of this courageous community And 50 years after that historic night, it's the privilege of a lifetime to help carry on its unfinished work. I'm Mo Rocca.
5: Thank you for listening, and please join us again next Sunday morning.
0: If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad free. Right now, by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.